One of my favorite stories is about a parish priest who had been in the parish for 25 years and he was being honored at a dinner and a local uh, uh, politician was uh, supposed to come and say some nice words about the priest but the politician was running late and so the priest got up and uh, sort of tried to fill in the time by saying some stuff and he said you know I had to say when I arrived in this parish 25 years ago I wondered where God had sent me to my first impressions weren't very good He said, you must understand the vow of confidentiality if the confession can never be broken. It's a sacred vow. But uh, I will never forget the very first confession I heard here when I arrived. I thought I'd been assigned to a terrible parish. The very first man who entered my confessional told me how he had stolen from one of his neighbours. When he stopped by the police, he bribed the officer to avoid arrest. Then he told me he embezzled money from his place in business and he'd had an affair with his boss's wife. I was absolutely appalled. But as the days went on, I realized that everybody wasn't like that. In fact, you're a very kind, godly bunch of people. Just as the priest finished, the politician arrived in, out of breath, a bit flustered just from a meeting. And uh, he, he, he got up and apologized for being late. And he, he began to give his talk. And he said this, I'll never forget the first day our parish priest arrived in this parish In fact, I had the distinct honor of being the very first person to go to him in confession. Beware your sins will find you out. We all need grace, we all need forgiveness, and we all need to confess. We celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary on Thursday, and uh, they said it wouldn't last. And uh, anyone who's married or in a long-term relationship will know that forgiveness is a big part of that that you don't uh, have any depth of relationship without conflict. And without, and when there's conflict, there has to be forgiveness. And there's different levels of conflict, and there's different levels of forgiveness, isn't there? There's, there's those little sort of, you know those little cross words, or even maybe sometimes there's not even words involved. It's just a look. You know the look. And, uh, and you don't need to have a big deal about those. Then there's those middle arguments, those things that, that you're at cross purposes and you, you have a bit of a fallout, but it's, you know, you, it's no big deal. And, uh, and then you have those, you know, those, those biggies, those, those whoppers, you know, those huge arguments. You're looking at me like, like you have no idea. Well, I know some of you, okay? I know some of you. Uh, and so I'm not the only, I mean, we, we've had a few of them. That's, you know, just in 10 years we've had a few. Not lots, we've had a few. I remember one in particular when shortly after we had moved to Dublin and uh, we'd had one of those huge arguments and I stormed out of the house and slammed the door and got into the car and I thought, I'll show her. And I got into the car and I started driving. And after 10 minutes I thought, I actually don't know where to go here. So I just turned around and drove home again and... I, it was a bit humiliating, I've got to be honest, walked in with my tail between my legs and, and, and uh, apologised and it was fine. Uh, but you know, we, we all have to deal with broken relationships at times, we all have to deal with conflict and that's why we need forgiveness. Last week we saw that Jesus taught us to say, give us this day our daily bread and today we're looking at forgive us. Give us our daily bread. That was dealing with our most basic physical needs. Forgive us. It deals with our most basic spiritual needs. And in Matthew's gospel, it says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, as we have forgiven our debtors. 
In Luke's gospel, it actually uses the word sin. But let's deal with the word debt because that's actually the word Matthew uses. It's debt. It's a commercial term. It's a financial term. It's a business term. And we all know what it is to have debts. Most of us here will have some debts. Some of us don't like to think about the debts. Some of us don't like opening the post. But we, we have debts. You know, we, we have bills that we pay. We have uh, credit card statements. We have bank loans. We have mortgages. We have overdrafts. We have student loans. We have debts. A debt is something that you owe someone that you have an obligation to pay. The, be- the bank has given you money and now you have to pay it back. What if you can't pay it back? What if for six months you don't pay your mortgage? What if for a year you don't pay your car loan? What happens? Well, very soon you start to get letters. And at the start, those letters are nice. And then the red writing on them tends to get bigger. And the demands tend to get a little bit firm, firmer, a little bit stronger, and a little bit nastier, and a little bit more threatening. And eventually, if you don't pay, you're at risk of losing your house. You're at risk of people showing up your, at your door um, and being on TV, that bailiff's program. Um, you know, that, that, that when we have debts, we have to pay them. And sometimes debt can cause stress. Debt in a relationship can cause stress. In Jesus' day... People who couldn't pay their debts were thrown in jail. Ordinary criminals, your your ordinary decent criminal was crucified, was killed. And that's why when Jesus was crucified, who was on either side of him? Two thieves. Two people who had stolen stuff. They actually just killed criminals in those days. Uh, Someone was a murderer, someone was a thief, they were crucified. But the prisons were full of people who couldn't pay debts. And the the intention was to put pressure on the family to somehow come up with the money so that the family member could be released. But until they were released, they stayed in prison. And so there were only really three ways. And still there's only really three ways to remove a debt. One is to pay it, to pay the debt off. The second one is for somebody else to pay it for you. And the third way is that the people that you owe the money to forgive the debt that they actually say, it's okay. Now, let's be honest, that doesn't happen that much. Like if, if your bank called you, you know, tomorrow morning, if Santander called you and said, look, we just, uh, just wanted to let you know that we had a, a meeting this morning with our area manager and we realized that the £120,000 you owe us on your mortgage, we have decided just to let it go. Don't you worry one more wee bit about it. It's taken care of. The state's wiped clean. It's gone. You know, you'd find it very hard to believe, first of all, because it just doesn't happen. Debts aren't normally forgiven. And yet Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Debt in one place and sin in the other. And Matthew says, forgive us our debts. And Luke, it says, forgive us our sins. Because they're the same thing. A sin is a spiritual debt. A sin is something that causes us to be in debt towards God. Sin has a cost. Sin has a price tag attached to it. Sin costs us separation from God and it costs us death. 
The Bible says very clearly the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. And in Northern Ireland, we know that. We see it nailed to trees all over the country. That, 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 that actually there's something that sin has brought into our lives that separates us from God, who is the source of life. And if God is the source of life, I, I think of it like a, a deep-sea diver with an oxygen tube. Sin cut off that oxygen tube. And so when that oxygen tube is cut off, soon you die because you're cut off from the source of life, who is God. There's spiritual death and there's physical death involved. And that's what sin has done. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. And so that separates us from God. And so in the midst of this, there's two things that we need to think about. There's God's justice and there's God's love. God is just and therefore sin must be punished. Just as if somebody did a crime against you, and they went to Craigavon Court, and the judge wasn't just and let them off, you would feel uh, that there was something wrong, that that was an unjust judge. Our God is a just judge, and therefore sin must be punished. But then there's also God's love. There's his justice, and there's his love. And his love said this, I want that relationship restored. Even though they've rebelled against me, even though sin has separated me, even though they have walked away from me, I want that relationship restored. And so at the cross, we have this beautiful picture of God's justice and God's love coming together. The one who demanded payment for our sin was the one who paid for our sin. The God who demanded justice was the God who loved us so much that he sent his son and paid the penalty himself. That through faith in Jesus Christ, my sin is forgiven, my slate is wiped clean, my debt is paid, and I can have a relationship with God. There was a beautiful story this week. I don't know if any of you saw it. It it, it was on, uh, I saw it on on Facebook, I think on Thursday, about a little supermarket in Conswater where there was a man earlier in the week, an elderly man had gone to the till to pay for his groceries. And his card kept being declined over and over again. And the the pensioner couldn't understand. He couldn't grasp what was happening. He, he, He just couldn't understand why his card was being declined and the queue was getting bigger and bigger behind him. And another staff member, a 35 year old guy called David noticed what was happening and and quietly went over without a fuss and leaned over to the person who was on the till, slipped them his bank card and said, use that. And they paid quietly for it. And uh, the man had no idea. And he went on, didn't even say thank you because he had no idea what had happened that his groceries had been paid for. And David just slipped off and went back to whatever he was doing. But somebody in the, t- in, in the queue at the till had noticed it and posted this on Facebook and suddenly it went viral and people started knowing about it and... Because it shocked people that somebody would pay for somebody else's debt. Because that's not what we do in this culture. We pay for our own debt. Or we don't even pay for our own debt. We expect others to pay for our debt. And yet there was something beautiful about this young guy who just quietly went and paid for a stranger's debt. And that's just this microcosm of what God has done for us. That we couldn't pay for our debt. 
Our card kept getting swiped and we were bankrupt. There was nothing left. Our checks kept bouncing. And there was nothing we could do. And Jesus stepped in. And he humbled himself. And he said, I will pay that debt. But not only will I pay the debt. I will add unlimited resources to your account. You see, it's not that we owed a million pounds and Christ paid a million pounds and therefore we're at zero right now and if we go to minus one, we have to pay it ourselves. It's that we were in debt a million pounds and Christ put 20 billion into our account. That all of our sins, past, present and future, are covered by the blood of Jesus. And there is nothing that we can ever do to put us back into debt. When Christ died on the cross in John 19.31, he said this, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And the Greek word is tetelestai. And again, it was a business and commercial term. And it meant it is paid in full. If you owed me a hundred pounds, And for 10 weeks, you brought me 10 pounds. On the 10th week, I would take that last 10 pounds and I would take out the ledger and I would stroke it out and I would write in big red letters or big bold letters, Tetelestai. The debt is paid in full. Not another penny is owed. And I would give you that as a record of your payment, as a receipt of your payment. And very often people would run through the streets shouting, Tetelestai, I've paid the debt in full. I don't owe any more. That's what Christ did on the cross. He paid our debt in full and he restored us back into relationship with the Father. He restored us back into that place with the Father and that relationship can never be broken again. But that raises the question for me. If your sins have all been forgiven when you become a Christian, why do you need to pray, forgive us our sins? Do you ever think about that? If your sins are already forgiven, past, present, and future, why does Jesus teach us to regularly say, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins, forgive us our transgressions? Does God need a reminder of them? Do we need a reminder of them? When we sin after conversion, here's what we need to understand. That her position with God will never change. We don't become unsaved, okay? That you don't need to get born again again. You know, I've met some Christians, I call them spiritual hypochondriacs, who every three months they get saved, you know? Every three months they get born again again. Like, you don't need to do that. Once you're truly saved, you're always saved. You don't need to get saved all over again. Your salvation is secure. You're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But confessing sin and asking God forgiveness is not for his benefit. It is for mine. It is so that I come into agreement that what I did was wrong. If I were to be rude or, 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 or speak sharply to my wife and didn't apologize, she's still my wife. That positional relationship is the same. But there's a little wall goes up between us. If I didn't ever acknowledge that and I kept being rude and kept being sharp and kept being ignorant, that wall gets bigger and bigger. I'm still married to her. Positionally, we're still in the same relationship, but our intimacy and our, 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 the, 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 the depth of the relationship we enjoy, the joy in our marriage starts to diminish because I have put up a wall between us. It's something the same in our relationship with God. 
Possessionally, we're still in relationship with God. But every time we sin and don't confess it, our consciences begin to to feel guilt, we begin to feel shame, we begin to feel distant from God, our intimacy with God. And soon this wall goes up that makes it more and more difficult to pray. We feel more and more distant from God. We wonder where the joy is in our lives. Where's the joy we used to experience when we worship? Where's the joy we used to have when we prayed? Where's the, where's the joy that we used to have when we came to church? Where's the passion for God? God? And we realize that this wall has gone up. When we pray, we feel like our prayers are going nowhere. And, when, and we wonder why people around us are so happy when you're feeling so miserable. Remember David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba? He's confessing it in Psalm 51 and he says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because sin steals your joy. It doesn't steal your salvation, it steals the joy of your salvation. And so that's why we confess our sins, not for God's benefit, but for ours, because it clears our consciences, it removes the barrier, and it helps us to come into God's presence without guilt and without shame. One of the best examples I can give is, remember in John 13, they're in the upper room just before Jesus dies, and Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter, and Peter refuses and says, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you, you, uh, you can have no part of me. In other words, if, I, if you don't let me do this, our relationship will not be as strong as it can be. And Peter being Peter says, well then, give me a whole bath, Jesus. Don't just wash my feet, wash my head, wash my hands. And Peter said, catch yourself on, Jesus said, catch yourself on, Peter. That's in the message translation. Um, but, but Jesus then says this, he says, if you've had a bath, you only need to wash your feet. And I think what he's saying is this, that when you become a Christian, when you come to Christ, when you repent, and we symbolize that through baptism, it's like being washed. It's like having a bath. All your sins are washed away. They're gone forever. But as you walk through life, you pick up dust on your feet. And every day Jesus wants to come along and he just wants to wipe the dust off. He wants to get down with a towel and with water and wipe the dust off your feet. And that's why we confess our sin. Because if we don't, that, that dust builds up and it begins to contaminate and begins to infect other parts of our lives. And so that's why we confess our sins, not because God needs us to, but because we need to, to keep that relationship clear. But look at that little word, as. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we have forgiven our debtors. Does that mean unless we forgive people, God doesn't forgive us? Because actually, if you look down to the next bit straight after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, that seems to be what he says. He says, for if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a tricky one. Is God saying that if we don't forgive someone who hurts us, that we can't be forgiven? On face value, that seems to be what it says. And yet the rest of the Bible teaches that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works. So if we're saved through forgiving people, that's a work. So that seems to contradict the rest of the gospel. It's really important we interpret scripture with scripture. That it is not that, that me forgiving you does not earn salvation. It's not that God tallies it up when we get to heaven and goes, you know, you only forgive people 43% of the time, so I'm only going to forgive you 43 So listen, there's 57% of wrath and judgment for you right now. That's not the way it works. I think what God is, what Jesus is saying is this, 
that if you receive God's grace and forgiveness, that will change how you view other people. That will, that will impact how you treat other people. If you fully comprehend what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, if you fully understand the depravity of your sin, your rebellion against God, and what God has done when Jesus died on the cross for you, you will find it hard, to forgive, hard not to forgive other people because you will be so overwhelmed by grace that you will compare what they have done to what you have done and you'll say, it's nothing. And he even tells a parable about this. I don't have time to go into it. In, Luke, or in Matthew 18, about a guy who owed uh, 8 million pounds to a king. And the king said, slate's wiped clean. And then the guy who's just had a slate wiped clean goes up to someone who owes him a few thousand pounds and says, you have to pay it, and has him thrown into prison. And the king is furious. And the point of the parable is this, that if you understand the huge amount God has forgiven you, if you understand something of God's grace and his forgiveness of you, how can you hold others' sins against them? How can you say, God, treat me one way, but treat them a different way? Forgive me, but judge them. That shows that you haven't really fully understood God's grace. But if you do understand it, that will lead to a heart of forgiveness. But for the rest of the time here, here's what I want to do. I want to get practical. There's so much more I could say about all of that. But I want to talk about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. Because I think sometimes in the church we have been really bad at this. And I'm very aware as I look around the room that all of you have had different experiences. Some of you have had horrible things happen in your lives. And when somebody gets up in church and says you need to forgive, very honestly and, and, and rightfully you can say, but you have no idea what I've went through. Don't you dare ask me to forgive them. And there's others of us who haven't had to face some stuff. And some of us are in between. And so please, as I talk through these, I, I, I try to apply them to your life, but I... I I'm trying to acknowledge that I, I know that if you have been abused, if you have had some horrendous stuff happen to you, I'm very aware of the sensitivity of this. And the church sometimes has just been really bad at going, you just need to forgive, without really understanding the, the, the complexities involved. So let me just say a number of things here. The first one is this. Forgiving does not mean forgetting. Forgiving does not mean forgetting. To forget all you need is a bad memory or insomnia. Or uh, not insomnia, what's it? Amnesia. <laughs> <I've> just <laughs> Amnesia. Yeah, guess who's got it? Um, getting old. Getting old. Some people will say, well, does it say God forgets our sins? No, it doesn't. It says he remembers them no more. There's a difference. In other words, God chooses not to recall those things that we have done. Once we've brought them to the cross, he chooses not. God is omniscient. He doesn't forget anything, but he chooses not to recall. So when we, um, when, when we forgive someone, there's some things you will never forget. Let's just be really honest. There's things that have been done to you and said to you. If you could forget them, you would never need to forgive them. If you can forget it, you don't need to forgive it. You just need to get over it. But if you can't forget it, you probably need to forgive it. And there's some things that you will never forget. But 
You don't have to choose to dwell on that thing. You don't have to keep bringing it up. You don't have to keep talking about it over and over again. You can choose to remember it no more. In other words, just let it go. You still have it there, but you choose not to dwell on it. That leads to the next thing I want to say. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It is a decision. If you wait until you feel like forgiving somebody, you will never forgive them. When I'm doing marriage prep with couples and on a wedding day, I'll often say this. I'll say, today you feel in love with each other. In a year or five years or ten years, you will look at the snoring, drooling wife beside you. She's not at the second service. I can get away with it. The first service, it was me. Uh, the snoring, drooling wife beside you. And you may not be overwhelmed with the feeling of, I am so passionate about you. You may be thinking, what, uh, what is that? Like, like, what's wrong with her? Like, how does she make that noise? Like, okay, I'm going to get in this trouble here, but put the first one on the podcast. Um, with your children, you would always feel that emotion of, I just love him so much. There's times when you want to kill him. No, like let's keep it real in church. There's times when they get on your, like you just are like, what is wrong with you, child? Do you not get it? But you still love them. Same with your husband or wife. You still love them, even when they annoy you, even when they're snoring all night and keeping you awake. And at four o'clock in the morning, you want to put a, a pillow over their head and smother them. You still love them, and that's what keeps you from doing it, apart from the threat of jail. You still love them. You don't feel love in that moment, but you act lovingly. There is a difference. We don't need to. You see, we live in a culture that's all about feelings. We don't. People used to say, "What do you think?" Now they say, "How do you feel?" It's all about feelings. I, I feel offended by that. Facts don't care about your feelings, as one person I listen to says. You know that that actually. Your feelings are important, but they're not as important as truth and facts. And the Bible says that we are to forgive. And so we don't forgive based on feelings. We forgive based on the book. Number three. And we are getting through them, I promise you. Forgiveness is letting go of your right to get revenge or get even. Forgiveness is letting go of your right to get revenge or get even. Because the reality is when somebody hurts us, we want to hurt them back. We do. We want them to feel the pain we feel. We want them to experience the consequences. We want them to suffer. We want bad stuff to happen to them. At times we want to punch their lights out. At times we may even want them to die. Let's just keep it real. There are people here who have had things done that you've said, I just wish they were dead. At times we want them to, we want them to feel pain. We want them to suffer. We want to get even. We want them to experience something of the pain that they have caused us. And we think they deserve it. They have it coming to them. And to forgive them is letting them off the hook. In Northern Ireland, we know how well revenge works out, don't we? I've been watching that program, The Troubles of Secret History. I don't know if it's fascinating. And you just see, the other night I was watching it, it was the third episode, and you see how one atrocity led to an, the other side committing a 
just slightly bigger atrocity and just this back and forwards. It just, it started small and it just spiraled out of control. You know, we were somewhere the other day and um, Becky said to me, Craig, you need to go and get that mole on your back checked out. It's been bleeding and, and uh, I'll, I'll never do it. Um, well, I will sometime if it gets bad. But you know what men are like. Um, but, but sometimes, you know, it's a bit like that, that, that it starts at this wee thing that if you went and sorted it out at the start, it would be fine, but then you leave it, you ignore it, and, and suddenly it becomes this thing which is much bigger than it would have been if you'd have dealt with it earlier. Forgiveness is letting go of the right to get even, and sometimes the sooner you do that, the better. Because the longer you hold on to something, the, the worse it gets and the more it can infect and affect every part of your life. Number four, superficial forgiveness leads to postponed anger. Superficial forgiveness leads to postponed anger. And what I mean is this, sometimes, and maybe especially in the church, because we're Christians, we think we've got to be really quick always to forgive. And that's the ideal, of course we do. But sometimes we say we forgive someone, but then a day later we start to think about what they did. <laughs> and we start to get angry again. And they come to us and we're off with them. And they can't understand it because yesterday we told them we forgave them. But we hadn't really forgiven them. It's like putting a plaster on a broken leg. It just doesn't help. And there's sometimes when we need to actually go, I want to forgive you, but I just need a bit of time to work through this. I need a bit of time to process what you did to me. You know, there's times when we do forgive quickly, especially small offenses, okay? There are some things that we don't need to big deal about. Like like some people just are offended easily. Have you noticed, particularly in today's culture, people are just dying for an opportunity to be offended today. Like it's like people are just looking for opportunities to be offended. You write anything on Facebook or Twitter or something, you have 40 people just, how can you say that's not politically correct? And it normally happens to me because I'm so non-PC. Um, but, but people are just dying to be offended. They're just looking for... I, I had a, a situation a while ago where somebody listened to a podcast and, and they, they emailed me and said, I was talking about them... And, I didn't even give them a second thought, but they ranted in this. And, and they're probably going to do it about this one now. And, but because I, I didn't respond, I, I just I realized this person's not in a good place and I don't want to get dragged into their drama. You know, there's some people who just, they want to drag everyone into their drama. And so I didn't respond. Then I got a letter through the post, like an old-fashioned Royal Mail letter delivered to the church here with the same stuff. And I just ignored it. I just, there's sometimes when you just go... I'm not going to get dragged into your drama. Not everything needs a six-page apology. Okay, there's some things you just let go. Then there are other things when actually you do need to appropriately address them. You do need to be proportional in, in, in how you... Between, there needs to be proportionality between the offense and the hurt, inf, or the hurt inflicted and the level of forgiveness that needs. That you can't do something really bad to somebody and think, oh, you know, just get over it. 
And that's where we run into trouble sometimes, isn't it? Where, or we, we give a, an apology like this. If I offended your feelings, I'm sorry. In other words, if you're so sensitive, that's up to you, but I'm going to say sorry just to brush it over. That doesn't really tend to work. Having said that, the next thing might seem to contradict some of what I've just said. Don't compare wounds. Don't compare wounds. In other words, don't say, well, I forgave this six months ago, and that's ten times worse than what you did, so why can't you just let it go? Because we tend to do that a bit, don't we? We, can, we? we compare our war wounds. And ours was always worse than somebody else's. The reality is that we're all different, we're all complex, and things that hurt you won't hurt me, and things that hurt me won't hurt you. Some of us are sensitive in some ways, and others of us are really thick-skinned in that area. But in a different area, it might be the other way around. To do with our upbringing, to do with our history, to do with our experiences. There are some things that if they were to happen to you, it would deeply affect you. And there are some things that if they were to happen to me, it would wash off me and vice versa. And so I cannot look at your hurt and go, just get over it, when actually maybe it's hurt you deeply. And this came up in a pastoral situation not so long ago where I was was talking to somebody. And, And somebody had hurt them. And they were deeply wounded. And the person who had hurt them just said, sorry, and moved on. And thought, that's it, it's done now. Because it wouldn't have bothered them that much. But the other person was still really deeply hurt and deeply wounded. And what they needed was a genuine, heartfelt acknowledgement of what had been done. Not just a casual, I'm sorry, let's move on. For them, that just wouldn't work. And the relationship can't be restored until they get what they believe they need. Similarly, understand that if you want a relationship restored, you need to put yourself into their shoes sometimes. Sometimes you need to go, you know what, this might not be a big deal to me. But I need to try and think of how this affected them. And I, for the sake of this relationship, I'm going to eat humble pie here and I'm going to give them what they need. Even if I think it's stupid, I'm just going to give them what they need. Number six, forgiveness does not always mean the relationship is restored. Forgiveness does not always mean the relationship is restored. Now, generally, that's the hope. We want it to be restored. And in most cases, that can happen. But there are some cases that that cannot happen and it will not happen. If... Restoring the relationship puts you or someone close to you at harm. That relationship should not be restored. If your spouse is beating you repeatedly, that relationship should not be restored. I was going to say if they beat you. Every relationship, everything is complex, okay? I'm just trying to say that if, 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 if restoring that relationship puts your children at danger, do not restore that relationship. If it puts you in danger, if, if you have an employee who steals from you, you can forgive them, but you don't have to have them working for you anymore. I had somebody who hurt me deeply in the, a number of years ago. Somebody who had opened my life to, thought I'd do life with forever. And they betrayed my trust. And here's the thing about trust. You build trust slowly, but you lose it quickly. You build trust slowly, but you lose it quickly. And that's in every area of life. And this person broke my trust. I will never have 
a, that close relationship with that. I don't. I have forgiven them. It took a while. Occasionally, I see photos of them on Facebook, and I don't wish them well. And then I have to come back to the cross. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But I've forgiven them. I don't have. I wish them well. If I, if they walked in now, I'd shake their hand and ask them how they're doing. It would be and it would be genuine. I have no resentment. I don't ever want to have that level of relationship that I had with them before. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's okay. And I've got the mic. Um, Number seven, forgiveness is an event on a process. Forgiveness is an event on a process. And very quickly, what I simply mean is this, that yes, forgiveness is a choice, it's a decision, but it's a choice you might make every day. Just because you choose to forgive someone doesn't mean the next day you won't have to forgive them again. You've forgiven them, but the next day those, those feelings start to come up and you have to forgive them again. That's why Jesus said forgive 70 times seven or 77 times. In other words, you, you keep forgiving over and over. Number eight, forgiveness doesn't mean there's no consequences. If somebody breaks the law, you can forgive them, but they might end up in court. If somebody hurts you in some way, you can forgive them, but it doesn't mean that you have the same relationship with them. Number nine, forgiveness is the only way, and we're coming into land here. Number nine, forgiveness is the only way to be truly free from the past. You see, when we don't forgive, it has consequences for us. When we hold on to bitterness, anger, resentment, and hurt, it affects our lives in a really negative way. And I have counseled and I have seen so many people who are, whose lives are defined and contorted and twisted by anger and bitterness towards somebody who's getting on with their life and having a great time. As somebody once said, unforgiveness and bitterness is like you drinking poison and expecting them to die. You think that by forgiving them, you're letting them off the hook when all you're doing is letting yourself off the hook. Because unforgiveness is when you're in a prison cell and you've got a key, but you're choosing not to use it to let yourself out. Because you've a right to be angry. Forgiveness is enlightened self-interest. In other words, the person who benefits from it most is me. Our bodies were not made to hold bitterness and unforgiveness. We pay a price spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally, even physically when we hold. I'm sure some, I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand, but I'm sure somebody here has done it. You've put petrol into a diesel car or diesel into a petrol car. And then you have that moment of realization. Sometimes it's as soon as you've done it. That's the best time to have it because it can be fixed. Sometimes it's as you're driving down the road and spluttering. Bitterness and unforgiveness are like that. We weren't meant to hold them. And sooner or later, the thing breaks down and falls apart. I remember visiting a man in Dublin in hospital who was dying of cancer. I didn't know him. It wasn't long after we moved there. It was people in our church asked me to visit him. And when I went into him, he wasn't in a good way. He was weeks from death. And uh, I chatted to him and I felt the Holy Spirit say, ask him if something traumatic happened in the last 10 years. And I, I said, have you gone through any trauma in the last 10 years? And he talked about an accident that had happened. And I, I said, no, that's not it. I felt the Holy Spirit say there's something else. And eventually he said to me, six years ago he had been accused of abusing somebody. 
had lost his job or been suspended from his job. I think he was a teacher. It had been in the papers. His reputation was ruined, and then it came out the person was lying, and it wasn't true. And he was completely exonerated. But for six or seven years, he had carried so much, and justifiably, let's be honest, justifiably anger and bitterness. But I could see it was destroying this guy. And so over a period of a number of days, I went into him, and we walked through forgiveness, and his life was transformed. I would love to tell you he got healed, he didn't. But his family, if they were here, would say to you, for his last few years, of his, last few weeks of his life, he was a completely different husband, father, and friend than he had been for the previous six years. He found freedom and forgiveness. He found joy and forgiveness. His whole demeanor completely changed. He had to let it go. And his whole family ended up coming to the church and are still there today. And it's all because they saw the transformation of this one guy who was willing to forgive. I'm not saying it's easy. If it was easy, we wouldn't even have to talk about it. We only have to forgive because it's not easy. We say time is a great healer. People say that time's a great healer. That's not always the case. Sometimes time makes things worse if we don't deal with it. It's a choice. I've done two funerals in the past where police have been called because the family have been fighting. Because it's the first time the family have been in the same room in years because they fell out 10, 15 years ago. And all this emotion gets stirred up. Time is not a great healer. Jesus is a great healer. And if we choose to apply his forgiveness, that's what heals, not time. An offence can open the door for the enemy. We don't have time to get into that. But the Bible makes it clear that, the, that if we stay offended, it gives the enemy a foothold in our lives. Ephesians 4 says that. Do not give the devil a foothold. Matthew 18 talks about the tormentor coming in when we don't forgive. That, that there's actually, we begin to experience torment in every area of our lives. And here's the last thing I want to say. God can help us to forgive. God can help you to forgive. Because I know there's some of you who think today this was for everyone except you because your situation's unique. And I don't want to diminish the pain and what you've gone through, but I want to say this to you, that God will never ask you to do something that he won't give you the strength to do. And when you become a Christian, God comes and lives within you, and he can help you. And maybe the step for you today is not to forgive. Maybe the step for you is to simply go, God, help me to want to forgive. Help me to want to want to forgive. I don't want to right now. I can't stand that person. But help me to reach a place where I even just want to forgive them. And to do that, there's some things we need to know. And the first thing is this. God is a God of justice. That one day we will all stand before him and he is perfectly just. And Romans tells us that he will be the one who will repay those who have hurt us. You don't have to punish them. You don't have to have vengeance. Leave them in his hands. Let him do. He is much better at justice than you will ever be. And in some situations, I have to be honest, that for me was the easiest way to let go, was to go, God, I I just have to leave them in your hands. I'm not going to deal with this. But Lord, I know you will do the right thing. Because Genesis says this, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The answer is yes. Secondly, God is able to take even our worst things that have been done to us 
that were intended for evil and use them for good. The story of Joseph shows that very clearly. He says to his brothers, you intended it for evil. He doesn't let them off the hook. He says, you intended it for evil, but God brought good out of it. And thirdly, and lastly, forgiveness shows the world that God is real. Forgiveness shows the world that God is real. Because it's not normal in our culture to forgive. It is so abnormal. It is so countercultural. Someone has said this, you will never look more like Jesus than when you forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. And our world needs to see Jesus. And sometimes the only way they will ever see Jesus is through you forgiving. That's the only way some people will ever experience Jesus is through you forgiving them even though they don't deserve it, even though they haven't asked for it. Sometimes you will forgive and they will never have apologized. Sometimes you will forgive and they won't even be alive anymore. But you don't need that. Forgiveness is you releasing them and saying, I release that desire for revenge against them. And as Christians, we are supposed to represent Jesus. And Jesus forgives every time. And he tells us to forgive. Not because we want to, not because we feel like it, but because the world desperately needs to see Jesus. And we have received grace upon grace upon grace. And some people take their hurt and their bitterness and their unforgiveness and their anger and they take them. We say, we'll say things like they took it to the grave for them. They took it to the grave. And you can take it to the grave or you can take it to the cross. You can take your bitterness and your unforgiveness and your anger to the grave or you can take it to the cross. But if you take it to the grave, you will live with it. If you take it to the cross, you can let it go.